0: Take a breath, but like a deep one. To be human is too long for that one breath that will finally make you feel like you have arrived at what you have been looking for all along. It tells you that you've arrived, you passed the test, you are here. We're in this new series, The Parables of Jesus. And each week we've been looking at one of the great parables. And today we see that to be human is to desire and to chase. So I want you to imagine a captain of an old ship, he's seeking after a lost island paradise. And along the way, he passes lesser islands, and he does not stop because he knows in his heart those are not the one. And then one night, there's a storm, and his ship is capsized. And he struggles to survive through the perils of the storm, and he finds a lone piece of wood floating, and he grabs hold of it. And he survives there the night on this lone piece of wood, and finally, in the darkness, he just falls asleep. And then in the morning, he finds himself on the shores of the paradise he's been searching for all of his life. And he sees there a table, a banquet, a feast with the greatest of food and the finest of wine. And he looks in the distance and sees figures that are coming running and they're his friends, his shipmates that he thought he lost in the storm. And they come and they all sit down and they enjoy this feast of merriment together. And at the end of the feast, they all take this deep breath as if to say, we're finally here. And then the captain says, you know, mates, we never would have found this place without the storm. In our parable today called The Rich Fool... Jesus subtly plays with these two words that are hidden to us in the English. But in the Greek, they both have this, this uh, well, the, the word is frone, and it's, it comes from this word where we call diaphragm. And the two words are fool and "Mary." Both of them have "thrown" in them. And it's to say this, the wise and the fool alike are both seeking that breath to enter into their diaphragm, the breath of life the breath of peace, the breath of joy. But the fool stops on the lesser islands. The fool does not face the storm. The fool settles for lesser riches, for worldly riches instead of heavenly ones. We're in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger, larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Our first point, approaching Christ. So Luke, the writer of this gospel, he sets the scene of which this parable is spoken into. Jesus is speaking to a crowd. And a young brother says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm here to settle a dispute. My older brother is keeping the inheritance that is owed to me. Now, this is a perfect scenario for this younger brother. He's been wanting justice. And finally, he's got before him the wise teacher, Jesus. And so he says, Jesus, tell my brother that he is in the wrong. And shockingly... Jesus responds to the younger brother with a stern warning. And the word that's translated man here, I mean, it comes with it, a warning behind it. So the question is, what in the world is going on here? Because this younger brother is seeking justice, and he's going to the one who is a wise teacher who ought to be bringing justice. And instead, Jesus turns the table on this younger brother and seems to ignore justice. Now, remember, Jesus is the moral teacher, the wise one. But it turns out he's more than just a wise teacher who discerns from his lofty seat. He's the God-man who comes close and discerns the soul. And that's what he's doing right here. Jesus will not sacrifice this man's soul for earthly riches. There are greater things at play than this man's inheritance. The brother wants life, and he thinks he's going to get it from this inheritance that is owed to him. And Jesus discerns what this man wants, and instead Jesus gives him what he needs. A story about a rich fool. We are all chasing the breath of life that one breath that will finally make us feel like we have arrived at the place we've been searching for. And we're searching for what we think will give it to us. What we want, these lesser islands that promise much, but deliver little. For some of you, there are these lesser islands of jobs, houses, cars, finances well probably for all of us and we think that if we get just enough of them we're going to find what we're looking for but we have this God who's in our way who keeps stopping us from getting these things that are good like those are all good things and one of the greatest gifts that God could give you is withhold something good from you so you'll keep searching for something greater And there might be many of you in this room who are frustrated with your life and the way that it is going. And it's because you have a good God who will not give you what you want. Because he wants you to stumble upon what you really need. And really what you're pursuing. Joy. Peace. Contentment. And the problem is not pursuing those things. Those are the right things to pursue. In fact, the problem is you aren't pursuing them hard enough because you're settling for things that will not deliver. This is what happens to us. You, You know, you could pursue something good. I mean, that's what this guy is doing in this parable, he's pursuing justice. Pursue something good with a heart that's bent a little bit. And over time, what you find is that you are very far off target. Sometimes we act like fools in the most dangerous way. We do things that look very noble. But our heart is just a little bit bent. Over time, we get way off track, way off course and miss the mark. The problem this man has is he's reaching too low. He's searching for earthly treasure. Our second point, pursuing wealth. One of the greatest temptations you will have in your life is to in exchange an ultimate thing for a good thing and pursue a good thing as opposed to the ultimate thing. What this man chases is good. It's redemptive. It's just. And it's ruining him. There are going to be shiny objects in your life that capture your attention. And they may appear to be good things, but they might actually destroy your soul because you've turned them into ultimate things. And these shiny objects, they give you the appearance of the riches of happiness, the riches of joy, the riches of contentment. And really what they are Shiny objects that are gold-plated, they're hollow, and maybe even worse, they're blood diamonds, great earthly treasures that come at the cost of the blood of your soul. St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Jesus says, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This man thinks wealth will give him the joy and the parable the man in the parable thinks his wealth will give him the joy of food and wine and merriment and his pursuit of wealth robs him from the very breath of life and rest that he seeks food drink and happiness is not the problem it's the way you get there And what you're willing to give up to get there. So wealth is presented before this younger brother and the farmer at the same time. Both fail the test. So this is our third point. Wealth is a test. Look, I know you already know this. Money won't make you happy. You know it, right? You know this. You've heard the stories. The richest people are the most miserable and the most lonely people. And you're not going to fall for that. Well, the real test begins actually when you get it or you lose it. So the point Jesus is making here the man, the man has lost something, and so Jesus, in his genius, tells a story about a man who gained everything but lost everything at the same time. When I was in college, I started a business, and over time it grew, the business lasted about. Ten years, it paid for seminary for me. And early on in the business, I met some people who'd been in the industry for a while. And they gave me some advice. They said, you got to stop partnering with these big companies. Because when it comes time for your business to sell, these big companies are going to take a lot of your portfolio and claim it as theirs. They said, you got to partner with smaller companies. And I said, well, okay, my new friends. Since you have this smaller company, let me partner with you. So I did. Um, years later, as things are going well, one of the residual checks that's supposed to come in doesn't come in. And I'm like, oh, let me call and see what's going on here. So I do some research, and what I find out is that the company has sold. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is a good thing. This is what we were getting to. Like, yes, only to find out that not only are they not going to give me my fair share of what they promised, but I'm not getting anything what should have been a lot for me, $60,000 was gone. Well, I didn't dot my I's and cross my T's, and so I was not going to win this one. And so then this desire for justice, this righteous justice started setting. I, I can't let this happen. I've got to do something about this. And so this feeling, I couldn't get it shaken from me. It, it, it's, the whole thing had a grip on me. And, you know, I felt, I felt stupid. I felt like a fool. And I couldn't do anything about it. And that feeling, when money's involved and you feel taken advantage of, well, you can't seem to let that go. I think you've probably felt that. Then one day I was reading a parable. It wasn't this one. It was another one about forgiveness. And I don't know why. I don't know what happened. But it just all of a sudden swept over me this need to forgive and to move on. And as soon as I did, this was very quick, as soon as I did, like a cool glass of water on a hot desert day, I was refreshed, I felt alive again, and I felt I could breathe again. And what happened to me could have easily broken me. It could have made me have a hard heart to others. And it could, be, could have made me have a hard heart to God and say, God, how could you let this happen? Justice, God, how could you let this happen to me? But the kindness of God led me to this parable that saved me. It Could have ruined me. But instead I grew. And it was a test. It was a test for me. I could have failed or at least been way set back. And this was right about the time where I was going to be ordained to be a pastor. So it was like this, David, I have one test left for you to pass before you're ready to be ordained as a pastor. Here it is. Jesus saw this younger brother that was potentially in me. Money and justice was ruining him. And so here's what he does to this young brother. He tells him a parable about a situation where a man is blessed by God and then he's given even more blessings. It's a new kind of test. What will he do with the blessing? Jesus is saying that there's a test in either way whether money is taken from you or money is given to you, whether blessings are taken or blessings are received. It's still a test. And he's saying to this younger brother, you want this inheritance. And if you get it, it's going to ruin you the same way it's ruining you right now. Because you're trying to find life in this inheritance. There are five ways that this blessed man in the parable that Jesus tells this younger brother, five ways he, he fails the test. First, First way he fails. The man in the parable who's been blessed. He doesn't seek the counsel of his friends. In Middle Eastern culture then, and in the Bible, one of the wisest things you can do is seek the counsel of your friends. The problem is this man knew what his friends would have told him. So he doesn't talk to them. He seeks his own desire by isolating himself. So, When you're blessed, seek the counsel of your friends of what to do. That's the first failure. Second, he fails to see it as a blessing from God. Six times in these three verses, he says, my, my grains, my barn, my soul, my fruits, my crops, and my goods. Everything belongs to him. He did it. He earned it. He's the man. He is so amazing. He figured out a way to make all this success happen to him. Success has a way of going to your head. This man could not understand that this was all a blessing from God. Even your ability to do well in life, your talents in doing that, that's a gift from God. And you're saying, no, no, it's hard work. That's how the saying goes. Yeah, and why do you work so hard? You know, some people are born with a personality that's going to make them a harder worker. Some people have had to learn that by lessons. Who do you think sent you those lessons? It's all from God. Yeah, you should work hard. Yeah, you should be wise. But then you have to at the same time realize even my wisdom is a gift from God. Third failure. He doesn't consult God and how God would have him use his wealth. The Bible's already told him what to do. A Middle Eastern man knows 10% goes to the temple. A Middle Eastern farmer knows 10% goes to the poor. During this time, what they would do is, if you were a farmer, you would leave 10% of your crops there for the poor to come in and be fed by your crops. It's a command from God. Whether you like it or not, it's a command from God. What will you do? And then there's the offerings that are given. That's what God says. Fourth failure. He thinks he has finally arrived at the good life. Now he can be comfortable. Eat, drink, be merry. The good life, it's here. Yay. That very night, God said, it's over. He worked his whole life to get to this point, and as soon as he got it, his life was gone. And then last failure, he didn't realize everything that he had was already God's. Even his own life was on loan from God. And when he didn't steward his blessing well, God came to collect the loan of his blessings and the loan of his life. Would you pass the test of wealth? Again, wealth is not a bad thing, but it is a test, and it reveals what you are. Now, if you aren't wealthy, I know what you're saying. If I'm not wealthy, if I had wealth, I would be so generous. I would. I really would. Why are you laughing? Don't you guys know we would all do this? I have this idea that if I win the lottery, it'd be so cool, and I'd give everything just to the church, and it'd be so cool. Do you think I'd do it? I don't know. I don't know if I would. You know, it's the test begins now. It's only harder. The test only becomes harder if you lose everything. It's really hard to be generous. If you get a whole bunch, it's hard to be generous, because if you lose it, you become fearful of being generous, like you're not going to have enough. And if you get a bunch, you become fearful that people are taking advantage of you. Or, you know, another thing that happens when you get a lot is, you know, you're here in life, and you're at like level three, and then you get some more money, and now you're at level four. But you're at the bottom of level four now. It feels worse, so you got to save got to get wiser with your money and so you get up to the top of level four and you're feeling good but then you start hanging out with level five people and then you cross over and then you're at the bottom again it's like especially like you know your freshman year coming into high school like you were from eighth grade into high school and it's terrifying so you got to keep on you need a little bit more the test has already begun if you can't do it now it's not getting easier. It only gets harder when blessings are taken or blessings are given. I talked to someone this week who's faithful with their generosity, and I said, why are you faithful? And he said, I think my parents told me early on that I should be generous, give to the church. He said, I just made that my mindset, and then he did it. That's why our, our son, Cale, he got $70 last year. And so we said, Kale, you've got $7 for the kingdom of God. And he was excited about it. And he put it and he's like, danced up and put it in the little offering bucket. And, like, it's like, what, $7, like, what's going to happen with that? Like, what, what are we going to do with that? It was really good for Kale, though. Because, like, you could see it. He's, like, storing up his money. He's excited about it. And it was like it's releasing its grip from him. And so money's like, like, oh, you don't want me? Fine, I don't want you. Grip is gone. It's good for you. So the Bible says, people who are faithful see themselves as stewards. A steward is someone who is in charge of something that isn't theirs. Fourth point, wealth as responsibility. There are things you can and can't take with you into paradise. Ambrose, a fourth century theologian, says the things that we cannot take away with us are not ours. Compassion alone follows us. And what he means by this is your wealth doesn't belong to you, so you can't take it with you. But there are things that do belong to you, like compassion. Mercy, grace, courage, bravery, strength. All of these are gifts from Christ given to you now by faith that you take with you as you go. Your wealth and possessions don't come with you because they aren't yours. You are a steward of the king in Christ. It all is his. And what is yours is what he shares with you, the riches of heaven and all the gifts that come with it. Eventually, God comes to collect all that he gave you to manage, and he gives it to others. And you don't know what they're going to be like with it. So be generous while you can. And here's the test. Do you see all that you have as already belonging to God? That's the foundation of all of this. It all already belongs to him. That's the test. It's yours on loan to do something good with. Your life, even, is on loan to do something good with. How are you using the loan that God has given you? He's not giving it to you to waste away. Your life is not yours to waste. It's, well, actually, it's his. There's a catechism. The first question, Heidelberg Catechism, what is your only comfort in life and death? That you are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. You belong to him, and all that you have belongs to him. And he loves you more than you love yourself. And he's wise, and he knows how you should live your life. And so just listen to him. He's really smart. Be responsible. And pray that your responsibility multiplies. What you do, your generosity, that it multiplies. Like kale, $7. God, we pray that you would turn the the three fish and the four loaves or whatever the number was, the seven, into enough to feed thousands. So make that your prayer. And then, like, all right, just be bold enough to do it. Go to God in prayer. Hold your hands out. Pretend like everything that is yours is in the palm of your hands. And then say, God, it's yours. What do you want me to do with it? Pray that prayer. Pray it now, even. The part in you, I know you are, the part in you that's hesitant to pray that prayer, that's the dangerous part in you. That's the unwise part of you. Be careful. And the younger brother in this story, he's more concerned about his wealth and his inheritance than he is concerned about his older brother. We don't know why, we don't know what's going on, but their relationship is in, there's a problem. They have some strife. And Jesus tells the younger brother, essentially, fix the problem. It's up to you. You are your brother's keeper. Now, this would normally be the job of the older brother, but Jesus is saying, look, I'm, I'm making it your responsibility. What will you do? And that means value people over money. Value people over money. What you have sitting in this room with you is the Imago Day, the image of God. You are no mere mortals, but you are, immor- Im- you are immortal just simply waiting to put on your heavenly, eternal clothing. Which means all that you have, you cannot take with you, but you can take each other. This is the kingdom of God here among the church, which means all of you together rising up into eternity together into the heavens. You can bring each other. And the things and the ways that you have loved each other well, you have shared joy together, those carry on with you. That's responsibility. And provide for your family, provide for the poor, provide for the church, and show your friends hospitality. It's it's really simple, but it's really hard. I mean, it's so hard, but it's so simple. It's just a matter of, like, percentages. God says 10% to the church. This is the order. This is the order of everything. 10% to the kingdom of God. 10 to 20% save your money for the future. That's wise to do. Pay your taxes and live on the rest. It's easy, easy thing to say, very hard thing to do. At the end of your life, God will not say, You are too generous to me with your money. And the test is happening now because there are lesser islands that promise you earthly riches, and they're very tempting. You have to pass them by. And sail on to the greater island. And these are temptation islands, earthly wealth dangling before you, telling you, contentment is on this island, peace is here, joy is here, merriment is here. Come, bring your boat here, set up your home, build a house here on this island. And the next thing you know, you're in prison there and you can't get out. You've settled. Sail on. But before you get to the greater island paradise, there's a storm in front of you. And you must go through the storm. What's the storm? The storm is the thing that's going to sink the boat of your wealth to the bottom of the ocean. I am not saying throw everything that you have to the bottom of the ocean. I'm saying do it in your heart. Die to it all. Let it sink. Because if you don't, if you hold tightly to it, you fall down into the abysses with it. It's painful, it's like a death, but it leads to life. And you've got to face the storm. Exchange these good islands. In this good boat for the ultimate, Christ. And as soon as you let that boat sink in your heart, you have all the riches of Christ in you. Die to yourself. Die to your possessions. And live him and take up your cross and follow him into the storm because in the storm what you're going to find is he's meeting you there he's already on the cross you sail into the storm you see him on the cross you know what he's doing there he's breaking the bonds of all the earthly riches that you are so clinging to so he will save you from the death from the abyss from the hell that you're sinking into that's what the cross is about And then you cling on to him, and then in the resurrection, he lifts you up out of the watery death and places you up upon the paradise shores. And it will be then that you can finally have life, now even. Because the bonds have been broken and you're finally free. Controlled by nothing this world has to offer you. Because you have everything in Christ. What could offer you anything better than him? Nothing. Now and only then are you able to actually enjoy what you have because it doesn't own you anymore. It's all his. And when the king of heaven shares something with you. That's something to be enjoyed. Let's pray. Father, I pray that these words would be heard. They would be heard with openness, with love for you, and love for your kingdom. God, we want to be faithful, and it's really hard. We're fearful that you won't provide for us. So to that we say sorry. We're fearful that you are not enough to give us joy and contentment and rest and peace. And for that, God, we say sorry. We're scared, God, that people are going to take advantage of us. So we isolate ourselves. We withdraw. For that, God, we say sorry. God set us free. So we might live a full life, sailing the ocean, knowing that we are on our way to paradise and we are so close we can taste it. Let us experience paradise now even because the bonds have been broken and we've been set free. Let us sail like free people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, And check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.